Well, hey, Adam, it's uh, good to be here with you. Yeah, here at our podcast studio. I've Brown, never sat yeah. this close to you. No, actually, and. 15 years We've of known friendship. Each a long time, and this is the closest we've ever been to each other. I'm a little uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> a little disturbed by that. So I wanted to just get you on record. Um, you know, this is an intervention. Um, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming, no. And just, you know, Dave is the founder of Brown Amplification. And he's gone today. And he's gone today. Daddy's so. gone. So we're here uh, and we thought, I thought I'd just, you know, have you talk a little bit about your kind of journey as a guitar player and how you got involved with Brown initially. And obviously there's enough um, about your involvement with the protein pedal, so we don't need to dive more into that. But more as a guitarist, your own journey playing guitar, I mean, you started playing guitar at a very, very early age. I've seen the picture of you with your first guitar. Oh, yeah, but the the toy guitar. Yeah. Yes. Not for real, though, until I was like 13 or 14. But, yes, I I banged on stuff a lot. Yeah. Never had a real one, though. And then you ended up, your parents, I think, split a guitar with you. I think it was my 13th birthday. Yeah. They they went halves, and I got a, still angry at the music store rep, because I remember I wanted to play guitar, because we went to this, this church, and there was this electric guitar player who did a lot of solos in a very small church with a half stack Marshall, 100 watt. And you could just tell a lot of the older people were. Just not happy with it. But he was new, so they were just letting him play on the worship team, just kind of getting him in. And he had come from, you know, playing clubs and bars and everything. So he just wheels in this half stack Marshall. He has a red Charvel with a whammy bar. (laughs) Every And he was really good. Like, he's still really good, actually. I mean, just a great guitar player. And... You could tell the worship leader really enjoyed him because he would give him a long, like long solo every song. Didn't matter. Just, and he would, and I just remember being like eight and just seeing a guy with like a red guitar doing a whammy bar dive at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Like, I want to do that. (laughs) What do you want to do with your life? That thing. It just has to be red. And I went to this little music store from a very small town. You've been there. Yeah. Way up north in Michigan, right on Lake Michigan. And they had a red Charvel, like Glenn played, but it only had one pickup in it, 80s. I mean, probably really cool guitar, actually. I said, I want, I want that one. And the sales guy goes, no, you don't want that one. It only has one pickup. And you know, it's better than one pickup. And I'd never seen Eddie Van Halen or anything like that to know that he just had one pickup. You can do a lot. <laughs> Keith Richards is one pick, you know, like yeah. you can do a lot with one pickup. He goes, you, you want this. And it was a PV Predator. He goes, this has three pickups. So that's what you want to go with. And so that's uh, that's the decision I made. PV Predator. Yep. First guitars. First guitar, yeah. yeah. So what was, your, what was your journey? Because you've been playing guitar a long time, played with a lot of, in the CCM world, uh, mm-hmm. artists, um, and done a lot of music over the years. And what, what do you feel like your journey has been like? I mean, at this point in time, you're now a songwriter or producer you still play guitar um, you're involved with brand amplification so you're a multi-faceted individual you know over the last 15 20 years of your life um, and it's grown in so many different areas so talk a little bit about your journey as a guitarist and how you feel like you've grown uh, in that aspect of your life journey my journey was slow 
disappointingly slow. <laughs> so that's encouraging because you can make slow process, but, or have a slower process. And that's, you know, it's not as fun. I wish I was just a genius from the womb. You just grow up, you know, but don't, don't we all? it didn't happen that way. Yeah. I, uh, I played, my parents just always had music going. And so I liked music. I'd set up pots and pans and bang, bang on them and all of that, but never had lessons or anything. So I didn't really know what I was doing, but I would definitely, um, go hit on the guitar a lot and try. And this was, I'm just old enough that we didn't have the internet really yet. I mean, I think we had a dial-up computer where I played Oregon Trail. Yeah. You know, but it wasn't like there was all these tabs or YouTube videos and all that stuff. So I don't really think I did much more than emotionally just kind of bang on the few chords that I knew. And then we moved to Florida and we went to a church uh, where they played a lot of gospel music. And so luckily, I feel like the key to growth for young people is having older people that are willing to put up with you being horrible. Yes. That's, that's a lit. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want it to. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's frustrating. You get older and you're a little bit better and you just kind of can get frustrated with the younger person that's messing it up. And then you just kind of remember like, well, that's kind of what it takes to grow. <laughs> that's right. So I remember, I think, oh my gosh, I think the first time I went, my grandma sang in the choir. So she took me, I had my PV Predator and I had a PV solid state amp and a multi zoom, multi effects pedal. Yeah. Uh, and I showed up to rehearsal and I knew all the main chords, G, C, D, E, A. I think I might've known F a little bit and they bust out the first song in A flat and E flat. And I didn't even know what those were. <laughs> so you just feel dumb. Like my personality, you're just like, Oh. And I think I cried. It was like 12 or 13. You're like, I'm horrible. I'm never going back. This is embarrassing. My grandma's like, no, you're just going to come back. And so there was a bass player there, actually. That's been a key in my life. Cassie Campbell, this first guy, Steve. The bass players have helped me a lot, actually. <laughs> right. He was like, let me show you where those notes are. And you can play guitar, too. So I think sheer determination. And so I just kind of grew up playing in church and a few little cover bands. I think I, we did an MXPX cover band. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's fun. It was, yeah, you know, yeah, stuff like that. I think someone burned me a CD where I heard uh, with eruption on it for the first time. I'd never heard it. My mom was on a big Van Halen fan. My dad was more CCR than Van Halen, so I just didn't know what was happening. And then I was like, "You can do that," <laughs> and that's when I knew you could play above the third fret. So, <laughs> sure. and from there, it's just been kind of like that, <laughs> jumping into things that you're not ready to do yet with a lot of people really gracious to show you how it's done. And then, yeah, learn a little bit by little bit. There's nothing like uh, being thrown into the deep end of the pool and having to learn how to swim. And we talked about this on a different podcast previously, but that environment, that church environment for a lot of guitarists has been so instrumental because it's an environment where you could make a bunch of mistakes in a setting where you're still playing in front of people. As yes, nobody to, would have paid me to play in a club. No. I mean, like, no. No. But I didn't get paid, so. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so. And they were just happy to have a guitarist. They were happy to have me. Yeah. So. And it's, you kind of grow in that space where you're able to make those mistakes. You know, and I think that's one of the beauties of church. It should be at least less so these days with tracks and the perfection mindset that exists in a lot of churches. These that's because of the internet, though. Because right. before iPhones and, well, internet, I sound old. I mean, not the internet, you know what I mean? But the interwebs. Every, the interwebs. 
Um, but everyone streams services, everyone posts yeah. clips on Instagram. And so nothing is just in that moment. You can't go, yeah, I'm going to let this kid noodle around and it's horrible. But once the service is over, it's never going to be heard again. Yeah. We're not trying to find highlight reels for the church's announcements next Sunday. You could kind of just be in that moment. And so luckily I lived in that time just long enough to get thrown up there and get a little bit better by playing with better people. It's like sports. You get, it's embarrassing, but if you can work through it and you play with people that are better, you will, if you stick with it, you'll keep kind of, kind of rising up there. So, yeah. So how did you meet Dave? I met Dave. I moved out to Kansas city. They did an internship thing here. And uh, I was playing for a couple Christian artists out based out of here. One of my good friends that I actually, I think I was living with Isaac at the time. I needed my guitar set up and we both had Ibanez, Steve I gems, or at one point, I think he might've moved on to the, the music man, John Patrici model, but we both had kind of shredder guitars. And I think I was playing through a pod probably some form of multi-effects, but I didn't know what tone was. I'd never had a great amp. And so met, I believe, Dave through Isaac, and he started setting up guitars, and I feel like he's kind of Yoda. He's been my he's been my Yoda. If it wasn't for Dave, I don't know. I'd probably, I mean, the, and to be clear, the Ibanez Steve Pye guitars are really great guitars, <laughs> but I didn't really know how to get a good tone. I didn't know what made tube amps good. I didn't know how to set up my pedal board. I didn't know how to wire things up. I don't know why I should like single coils because they're noisy and they sound thin to me, you know, yeah. when you're 18. 18, yeah. Like more is more. So. Till it's not. Till it's not. So ever since then, I remember his first basement, I think. I think it was down by, uh, behind Explorers originally. Oh, really? And I believe, Dave can correct me if I'm wrong, he's not here. I maybe they had just had one. So, or maybe not even. I don't remember. He still had dogs, and now they don't. Well, they just got they, one. They just got one. Yeah. But yeah. and then there was a there was a long no dog season after that. So it might have been before he had kids. And I still remember going over to his basement. That's where I first played amps he was modifying and working on. Yeah. Be like, try this, try this, let's swap out this pickup. And I could pester him with all my questions. Why does that sound better? Or what's making this work? Yeah. And so I have loose grasps on concepts, just enough to tell Dave. And then he knows what I'm talking about <laughs> because he's the one that told me those concepts. Because he's just a genius. Very broad strokes. Yeah. Yeah. So Dave has been there for my whole musical tone experience, which actually feels weird without him here because I want to look and second guess everything. Because if he ever sees it, he's like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, I know. I'm just loosely... Just throwing this ideas. This is kind of like how I perceive what you what you told me. Yeah. So yeah, but I he, I think he was the first one that it kind of clicked in my brain that tone is a recipe, like kind of a recipe. It's how you combine all these different components. You know, I'd want to look for what's the best guitar on the best amp and the best pedal, the best overdrive pedal, the best to it, and like you get all the best, and it's going to be the best, right? Just like pick out all of your favorite articles of clothing, put them on, and that'll be a good outfit. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. not. Like yeah. it's kind of, it's finding that balance. And I think he was the first one that did that, or I could ask about records. How are they getting the sound on the record? And he would show me how he thought that was happening. And I'm like, man, that sounds kind of different. And then you start to listen to it in the mix and you start to realize that I wasn't hearing that right. Yeah. And all of that. So 
Dave's been a big part of my tasteful tone journey. Well, that's helpful to have a guy like that in yeah. your life. I know. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. it's how fortunate for you. I Adam. know. Yeah. Now I just take all the credit. I go on the road. <laughs> you sound amazing. What great tone. I'm like, well, thank you. It's, it's <laughs> thank all you. me. <laughs> Came up with it on my own. That's why everything I play says Dave's name somewhere on it. Somewhere. 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 Brown with an E. Brown with okay, an E. Even though Dave's name doesn't have an E. Brown with an E. Shh. Don't tell anybody that. Um, so Dave was involved kind of in that journey. And then you've been playing for, you know, years and years. And now you transitioned uh, from doing mostly guitar to songwriting and producing. What was that like to be less of a, like, live guitarist and more in the production world? It's a, it's a jarring, actually, I think, was it last week we talked to Scotty? Yeah. Scotty Mills? Because I got my first kind of toe in the water and I was horrible. But some of the, the CCM artists I was playing with, you know, do live in the studio records or live recording. So you kind of got to dip your toe in and get that painful yet so helpful feedback experience of instantaneous uh, critiquing of what you did. Right. You just play it, you listen back and you go, oh, I'm so sorry, that sounded way better in my head. So I kind of got a, a toe in the water with the live in the studio things. A little bit of, okay, like I, this sounded great in my in-ears, but that is not what it I thought it would sound like in the mix when you listen back. So I kind of got a little bit in there. And then as time went on, got asked to do some sessions, worked with guys like Jared that would kick my butt and yeah. tell me to get better, <laughs> which was, was really helpful. Sometimes. It is helpful, yeah. So uh Kind of got in, got in slowly, just being a guitar player, but making the jump to being a guitar player while writing on the guitar and producing while being a musician that's playing a lot of things. It's it's still a really big learning curve. I have such respect for some of these producers, like the you know the Daniel Lenoirs and all of that, that will play a bunch of parts on a record, and it sounds like a record in a song. It's so hard to pull yourself out of musician mode to producer yep. mode. Um, songwriter to jump between all those worlds so seamlessly without losing the big picture is really hard. So I'm so that's been really the hardest thing about it, I think, is is trying to figure out how, okay, how can I pull back and and hear what needs to be done like a producer and then jump into guitar world, but I don't have a producer here anymore. That was the nice thing about doing live in the studio or doing sessions is I can just be a guitar player. I'm having fun. I'm tweaking my pedals and there's someone there going, that's good. Do that. Nope. Don't do that. Nope. More like right there. And then you just jump right into it, yeah. fully confident that it's going to work because the producer likes it. And that's all that matters and the artists or whatnot. And so it's really a head game than anything. Yeah. So still working on that. but Yeah. And growing. being a producer too, I mean, you know, as a guitarist producer, you know, you were talking earlier about tone being a recipe. What, you know, for somebody that's maybe listening and they're like, well, what do you mean by that? And how do I get better tone? I mean, we look to, you know, Dave and I do look to you in terms of like when a pedal where Dave's designing and we're trying to get to market and we want it to sound a certain way, like we'll bounce it off of you because you're playing live more than, you know, either of us are playing live uh, and on records and different things. So what's your idea? When you think about tone being a recipe, what, what recipe would you put together to create the tone that you feel like is, you know, helpful for what you do. Yeah, I think what was actually, once again, things that are not fun, but end up and long-term being really beneficial is 
as we said a million times, I was traveling a lot, but I was flying to places, different backline, and you just never know what it's going to be. And I was referencing everything through in-ears, which as all you guitar players know, if you're playing your guitar dry through in-ears and the cabs are isolated way in the back, it's not the most flattering picture yeah. of something. So it really, with all the variations, which are really a nightmare and not fun to deal with, but that I had to do, I felt like I would get a broader picture of what the pedal actually sounded like. Because I realized if we sat, you know, Dave's got some great classic amps and all of that stuff. And if I just sat in front of it, all of the stuff he made sounded great. It's yeah. all really musical. And now without traveling as much, I, uh, I'll put in-ears in, in the studio and plug a pedal in direct, try to give it the most unflattering, when I'm testing, like for Brown, right. you know, like, oh, yeah. what do you think? I, this is not gonna be fun, but I'm gonna plug it in direct to my interface and give it like no filter, no, no facial tuning, <laughs> no Photoshop, the most unflattering fluorescent light view I can. Yeah. And then I know that if it can sound okay, if it can sound good in the most unflattering, unflattering context, yeah. then it's probably going to sound good with most things. And so that I think is why the, the protein ended up being pretty versatile is that that was kind of its testing ground was unflattering things as opposed to my favorite things. Actually, I rarely played it through the amps that Dave built for me that I love because I was always flying out. So probably never would have tweaked it as much as we did if that's what I would have been playing it through. But when it comes to the recipe side, uh, a friend of ours who is a chef, I, I could be misquoting him, but I believe he said something along the lines of one of the final tests as a chef is you have to cook an egg because each one is different. You have to pay attention. You know, like each chicken breast is different. There's this intuitive thing where you might know the temperature, you might know the time, but you still have to make these minor adjustments. And so I would do the same thing. I would ask guys older than me, what are your settings on this? What are your settings on that? And then I started realizing, well, it's kind of not a fair question because everything that I'm using, the guitar, the pickups, the combination of pedals, the amp, the microphone, all of it's working together to get this sound. And so there could be a pedal that's a little too bass heavy, let's say, um, if I played my Les Paul through it, but if I'm playing my vintage Strat that's really thin, kind of all balances out to be perfect. So then someone says, what are your settings on your amp? And they're playing a really fat sounding modern guitar. It's not gonna work. Right. And by, there's so many, you know, as, as you know, as a songwriter <laughs> and a yeah. keyboard player, you would, you know, there's so many, there's so many things. And so I stopped searching for the best and just tried to find what each piece of equipment that I did what did it want to do? What was it good at doing? What did it do well? And then once I knew that, figuring out how to combine all those elements together to try to, to try to create more of a meal than just figuring out that one, that one piece, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, we get every now and again, I'll get somebody will be asked like, what's the settings that you guys use or for this thing or, you know, and it's, and typically the response is, well, you just kind of have to use your ears what's what sounds good to which you? is frustrating yeah because <laughs> i would ask i would ask those questions all the time and uh, there's a few examples uh another friend of ours brandon that i played with a lot another guitar player i remember he was just the king of bringing in these on paper just pieces of crap <laughs> instrument you'd get them in a pawn shop there's one 
think he called it the green meanie and it was this odd shaped, I mean, I think someone cut it out of a coffee table, had weird active pickups in it, I think. I don't know, Brandon, whatever it was. But if I would have played it, it would have sounded horrible. Right. But I started noticing that he would play differently when he played that guitar. There were certain spots that it sounded really good at and there were certain positions and he would just find that spot that was great and kind of just let it do what it wanted to do as opposed to looking for the perfect thing. And I have an old Dan Electro 1961, really cool lipstick uh, pickup guitar. And you can find these really cool sweet spots on it. But if I tried to, if I picked it up and I just played it, like I would a really nice Dave Telly, it'd play out of tune. If I went to it with what I wanted to play and just tried to do it without regarding what I was playing with, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be awesome. It'd be terrible. Right. So I think that's a little bit of it is kind of going experiment. Cassie Campbell's another one great at that. I could give her the cheapest bass and she's going to kind of find what notes play in tune, what pickups are great. Okay, cool. This overdrive pedal, does it like to have the drive up really high? Or does it like to have it? And how is that interacting with the ant and all of that stuff? So it's always an experimentation process. But when I stopped searching for something perfect and just tried to figure out what each thing did really well, and then tried to fit them together, I was less frustrated and I had more fun making sounds. So yeah. I'd get really frustrated. eBay makes way less money and reverb off me now because I don't buy and then resell stuff all the time. <laughs> <laughs> they're not making their, their percentage. Yeah, they're the really bummed. Yeah. I was like, man, this is not the perfect fuzz pedal. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm like, no, there's no such, there's no such there's thing. thing. Yeah, yeah there's no, it's just, it does this really well. Yeah. That was a long answer, I'm sorry. No, that's totally fine. I think <laughs> I think I'm, you know, when I think about people who are guitar players, you know, we've had we've done a bunch of podcasts. We, we ramble on about a whole bunch of stuff. But it's interesting hearing from somebody that is a, a, a living, breathing, guitar-playing guy as opposed to <laughs> some of us that are just... That's, that's accurate. Yeah. I am living, living breathing, breathing, and I guitar attempt to play guitar, yeah. Uh, because at the end of the day, well, you know, we know that our target of people is, you know, unfortunately, it's very much a specific type of person. Um, you know, it's not, I'm, it we're not trying to reach, you know, some 12 year old kid who isn't like the first time he's ever played a guitar. He's not going to buy a $340 dual overdrive pedal. No. And he probably shouldn't. No, he probably yeah. shouldn't, you know? So, yeah. So I think sometimes hearing from, you know, a guy that's like, Hey, yeah, your journey from, your first guitar being thrown in the deep end and learning that process to now where it's like still trying to t fine tune your sound and still trying to fine tune your board and what the recipe looks like for, you know, guys that are out there and they maybe they're just weekend warriors. They play once or twice a month on a Sunday morning. You know, it's like all those kind of guys that are like, Hey, what does it look like for them mm -hmm. to be able to find the recipe that works for them? Right. Yep. And, and just, I forget sometimes I'll play for 10 minutes dialing something in and then realize that I wasn't even paying attention to like how I was playing or what I just was kind of playing and like turning knobs and instead of kind of taking a step back and, and listening. But I think practically, I guess if I'm going to just dial something in, cause we're talking about a recipe loosely, I, go, I always dial the amp in first. I like to get a sound that's just on the edge of breakup, but if the amp is bad and a lot of guys always talk about that, you get your amp just on the edge of breakup, because that's where overdrive pedals and stuff like they'll they'll mesh with it really well. I think Tim Pierce talks about that a lot too. Brilliant guy. Um, but for me, sometimes with really bad amps, 
it just, the amp was so bad, it didn't sound good if it got slightly pushed. Or maybe right. with the in-ears or whoever's running sound, if they're EQing it or, like, it just, that would be awesome. That's the ideal. That So I would just go for a really good, clean sound, even if it was a little bit generic. And then from there, I would just kind of progress through my pedal board. Okay, I think that's as good as I can get my guitar to sound into this amp, just, you know, basic, clean tone. Let's try the overdrives and then work from the overdrives to the modulations. All right, cool. Like, I think it's as good as I can get it. Uh, choruses and tremolos or whatnot. And then I would add some delays and, okay, how are they sitting? Because if an amp compresses a lot, certain amps will compress more. Even where you have the mix on your delay hits different. So you could perceive it as being, the repeats as being louder or softer just based on how the amp compresses, which makes it a little tricky when people ask for your settings because I always go, well, I mean, this is loosely my settings, but depending on the amp, or the guitar, I'll mess with the mix and feedback just to get it where it needs to be. And then I'd always wait uh, for reverb last normally, unless I wasn't playing with delay, because obviously reverb is, in my mind anyway, expa expansive and drastically kind of changes how everything is hitting the amp and the speakers responding and all of that. So I would kind of go, let's just start stupid, simple, clean tone, drives, modulations, this sounds all right throw some delays on there, make sure they're good, and then kind of add the, the sauce on the end. Yeah. So if you were uh, going to talk to yourself as a you know 13-year-old kid now, after all these years, looking back, because I often wonder that about myself, what would I say to myself 20 years ago, starting in doing music, and well, it's longer than 20 years now, but what would you say to yourself? What are some tips that you'd be like, hey, do this, because it'll help bypass a few years of, pain in your own kind of guitar journey? What would I, uh, what would I say? I think I would, I think the main thing I wish I would have latched onto was letting go of looking for the perfect thing because I'm a perfectionist. I'll fixate yeah. on stuff, very ADD. So I could go down this rabbit hole for four hours, um, trying to find the perfect thing as opposed to just practicing with what I had. I wish I would have spent more time learning song parts and playing than the hours and the money spent trying to track down that next great, I mean, probably shouldn't say this, but that next great overdrive pedal, I'm like, right. I like, I could have just used the tube screamer and it would have been fine. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, so I wish I would have let go of that ideal of perfect. And I get that guitar magazines sell you that because they're trying to sell you guitar magazines and and you want to know what's in everyone's rig, and I do too, but now I take it more as inspiration. So, oh, uh, and I try to get inside of their head. So instead of thinking, what are the details of exactly what he's doing? And if I get all of these components, it's going to sound like that. Now I just try to go, oh, like, what is he using that for? Is he using it to get a really spacious sound? Is it a drive thing? Is he stacking it to get some compression? Or where do I think he's using it? Um, so I try to approach it that way, and it does make it more fun. I've heard that works with people too. They're like, you know, your your spouse can't be everything, and if yeah. you put that pressure on them, yeah, they're gonna fail you. <laughs> so, but when you just go, you just get to be you. I yeah. don't have to talk to my wife about guitar pedals. I'd be really bummed if I was if I thought, well, you need to be my best friend, and you don't even know the difference between a tube screamer and a blues breaker. That'd be really a bummer. <laughs> But I don't even, it's not, I, I don't it, expect it to know that. Years ago, yeah. Yeah, I get it. Like, it's totally fine. So I just do that with guitars now. I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, 
it's cool. You don't have to know all this stuff. So I wish I would have known that earlier. I wish I would have learned more songs and then figured out the parts and understood why they were playing those parts, the theory behind it. So instead of, I would try to study theory, be a good student, you know, like I'm going to grow. So I'm going to learn this Phrygian scale. I would, I now approach it going, I'm going to find a song where I like what they're doing or I like the song itself and then reverse engineer it and go, what are they playing? Why are they playing that? Do they do that type of movement in other songs that they do? And I, and I kind of do it like that now. Yeah. You know what I said that? Don't do frosted tips mm -hmm. for your hair. That would yeah, have been. That would, that's, a, that's wise advice. Don't buy a straightener. Very short but painful period. I was trying to be Isaac, and he had nice straight hair naturally, and we lived together. It didn't work well. <laughs> I think I, I remember that season, actually. There's one picture his mom took. <laughs> I think he still sends it to me on my birthday every year. Yeah. Just so I feel Remember this? Yeah. Yeah. You need to feel a little regret on your birthday. So that's always good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I mean, my advice to anybody always is just calm down. Like, just take it easy. It's okay. You know, tomorrow's going to come at the pace that tomorrow comes. <laughs> and so you just keep swimming just keep a little swimming. bit every day. Well, and yeah, just be slightly better every day. That's Which is it's actually really hard for my personality because I would rather go, I'm going to get all this things over here done today. And then tomorrow I'm turning my phone off and I'm going to play for nine hours straight. And then tomorrow, like more things come up and you're like, no, I'm, I'm going to wait till I have, it's almost like the guitars. I was trying to find the perfect guitar Then I'm waiting for this perfect time when I can like have the cup of tea here. And then in three hours I can put the scotch here and then I won't get a phone call. And it's going to be this beautiful exploration of music and practicing and all these things. And it just never happens. Yeah. So I'm like, no, just sit down. And before I get to the studio, just play guitar for an hour on the couch while I'm watching the news or something. I would sort of let go of that perfectionism a little bit. Yeah, we've talked about this before, but it's one of the things that you do is like keep a mini practice amp in your living room underneath the couch. I do. And keep yeah. your guitar accessible or noticeable so that when you see it, you're going to play it more if you see it. Because I noticed that with myself. Uh, I'll have my acoustic guitar in my living room, even though I've got three kids. But it's like if I put it there, I'll play it more. Yeah. If I don't have it there, it'll be a week and I won't have thought about it and I won't have picked it up. But if it's there, then I'm, when I had a piano in my living room, it didn't matter if it was a $50 beat up piano that I got oh. from the Salvation Army. I played way more piano on that thing than the keyboard that I have in my office upstairs because I just don't notice it to sit down on it. Whereas yep. when my piano was literally in my living room, I would just walk past it and sit down and play it. So that's definitely a helpful thing. I think, what do they call it? Ease of access. They talk about it in a lot of entrepreneurial podcasts. I think Seth Godin talks about it. Like the harder you make it to start something, because they, uh, for a lot of people say, if you just put a timer on your phone, no matter what you want to do, exercising, practicing, read something, put it for three minutes. And nine times out of 10, when the timer goes off, you'll be in the flow and you'll just keep going, but it's that initial hurdle. And mm -hmm. so when your guitar's under your bed, in and its case, yeah, you gotta pull it out. Your you cables are over here, yeah. and then you're gonna plug it in, hook up your pet, like the whole, which is kind of sad. You're like, if you really love music, it shouldn't be that hard for me to like plug in a pedal board, but humans. And so I got a little cheap Bluetooth. 
I don't think it actually has Bluetooth, but it's a little uh, like USB powered amp because I just got married this year. And so I used to have, you when my living room was full of record players and amps. And yeah. apparently that doesn't look doesn't like fly. an adult's home. <laughs> doesn't look Whatever like, that means. Doesn't look like a woman lives here. <laughs> just speakers everywhere. NS10s laying around. Like, <laughs> anyway. But I, I got a little amp off Amazon for literally $60. And... I have it plugged in under the couch. You can't see it. There's a big enough gap. So it's plugged in underneath because there's an output or a, a AC power jack or something down there. So I have it plugged in. I have a, like a 25-foot-long cable that I ran underneath the couch. And we have a big L-shaped couch right where the crack is. I just have enough of the cable coming up that I can kind of shove it down. So when you look, you don't see anything. I just leave it plugged in all the time. And my guitar is sitting there. And just sit down and play through my little, I can't remember what it's called. My little Amazon brand amp yeah. underneath the couch. Doesn't need to sound great, but it's a. It doesn't it's a sound bad. But yeah, that's true. I've actually heard it. It doesn't. I've done sound YouTube bad. videos yeah. where I've like played a lick or played along with the TV, which actually is really helpful. Um, actually, I wish I'd have done that more because so many people um, that grew up with parents or whatever that played music, they play along with the radio. So they kind of got. I I did not grow up doing that. I wish I would have. But having it there on the couch, we'll be watching TV shows or a song will come on or something, and I'll just start playing naturally kind of along with it, even if I'm just finding the key. It's kind yeah. of built-in ear training, and there's normally a beat to the background stuff, so you're getting a little bit of pocket. So it's this very intuitive, easy way that costs 60 bucks. I actually had one first, it was like 30, and it was fine. Yeah. So Now, if you're married and your wife is, you're watching a movie with your wife because it's date night, it's probably not advisable to pick up your guitar and try to play along to the songs at that yeah. point in time. But, you know, you do you. I'm learning. <laughs> learning that tool. Yes. If it's a Hanson song, she's fine with it. As you know, it's her guilty. It's guilty. a guilty pleasure. Yeah, right. yeah, big Hanson fan. So then it's okay. <laughs> then I can do it. Well, Adam, thank you for, you know, giving me a few moments of your time to share with our peoples. Yeah, we'll be back rambling next week. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Dave can make all the edits for any factual inaccuracies that That's I have right. hitherto put forth. <laughs>